You guys ever heard of the Energizer Bunny, right? It's a little pink thing comes in there, doom, doom, doom. Do you know the original, original Energizer Bunny was not a pink bunny, but it was a man. His name was Paul, all right? And we are looking into the book of Acts, and we are seeing this guy named Paul who just won't quit. He just keeps going and going and going. And as we're in the latter part of the book of Acts, in this portion that we're calling Journeys, we're seeing he and others join with him, going around the world, sharing the gospel, not having an easy way about it either, very difficult, challenging journey, and they just keep going. Um, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17 this morning. We're going to be moving through three different cities this morning in the book of Acts chapter 17. Um, I think we're going to throw a map on the screen for you, just give you a little context of uh, where we've been and where we're headed um, with Paul as he's going forth preaching the gospel. It all began down here in the bottom right-hand corner in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus lived. That's where he did his miracles. That's where he was accused of all kinds of outlandish things. That's where he was eventually arrested and he was crucified and he rose again. And it began to spread from there. And you see above Jerusalem, there's Samaria and on up into Antioch. There was a church there that was just on fire for Jesus. They had great leadership there. They decided to send two of their best, Paul and Barnabas, out in sharing the gospel. And they're doing this. And Paul continues these journeys, and he is um, up in the kind of the, the upper portion of our map right now. And we're going to see him go to Thessalonica uh, from Philippi, and then from Philippi to Berea, and then to Athens. And that's what we're going to see him do today. Now you think, well, whoop-de-doo, he traveled a few places. In Philippi, Paul was beaten with rods. Beaten. I mean beaten. They threw him in jail. And if you'll go back to chapter 16 sometime and read that story, you'll see an incredible story of God releasing and freeing Paul and his partners out of jail. So now they've been beaten, all right? I don't know about you, um, but when I'm sore, I don't like doing anything, and I've never been beaten with rods. I can't imagine thinking, all right, I've got to go make a 100-mile journey by foot after being beaten with rods. But that's what they do. They leave um, Philippi, and they go to Thessalonica. Um, it's about 100 miles, and then they're going to travel to Berea, which is about 50 miles, and then they're eventually going to land in Athens, about another 250 miles down the way. So let's begin in Acts chapter 17, verse number 1, and see what's happening in this incredible story that we know as the Acts, the Acts of the early church, the Acts of the apostle, what the believers were doing. Acts chapter 17, verse number 1. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis, that's a hard one to say. If you can say it better, you can take your turn later. And Apollonia, these are two very influential cities as well. For whatever reason, the Spirit of God didn't lead Paul and uh, Silas to, to stay there. They kept traveling, and they made their way to Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica is a really large city, about 200,000 people, I would say, even according to today's standards, that's a pretty big city, and they landed there. It says, where there was a Jewish synagogue, and verse number 2, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. This was kind of Paul's M.O. He would go to cities. He would find the Jewish 
people that believed in God, obviously. They worshipped, met, and learned in the synagogues. He would go in there knowing they were God-fearing people, and he would begin to teach the gospel, which was a new teaching for them. Jesus, the one we read about in the New Testament, they didn't think he had come yet. All of the story of the gospel is fresh and new for them. They may have heard about it, but they hadn't really heard the real story. Verse number 3. He explained the prophecies, so he went back to the Old Testament. This is the portion of the Bible that the Jews would have had at the time. This is the portion they would have read, they would have memorized, they would have looked at. And it says that he began to explain the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. Now, I'll pause there on that part and say to you that if you're reading that, the part that jumps out to me and that just gets me going and gets me excited and makes me go wow and makes me go hmm and makes me go yay is the part that he rose from the dead. That's the part that just blows my mind to think that anyone can die and then come back from the dead. But interestingly, that's not the part that the Jews would have noticed. They would have kind of disregarded that and just kind of gotten lost in this whole idea of Jesus, the Messiah, actually suffering. And that's the reason why they were struggling with Jesus being the prophesied one, the promised one, because all they ever looked at in Scripture and focused on in Scripture were the happy parts. What are the happy parts of the Old Testament? That the Messiah is coming and he's going to rule and he's going to reign and there's royalty and there's majesty and he's going to be the new king. And the idea that the Jews had in their minds because they did what we do many times, they picked and they chose which scriptures they liked and didn't pay attention to the ones they didn't like. They focused on the triumphant part of Jesus, not the suffering part of Jesus. And so as Paul was explaining to them how he was beaten, Jesus was beaten, and how he was crucified, they just couldn't get over it saying, no, 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 no. But he took the Old Testament properly in places like Isaiah chapter 53 and began to show them, no, he came to suffer and to bleed and to die for my sins for your sins, for their sins, and for everybody else's sins. And it says he took the scriptures and he proved to them through the prophecies. It goes on there in verse number 3, um, that he must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Very interesting who's being converted here. It says some uh, Jews, and then it goes on to say many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Well, as you read the rest of the story in chapter 17, and we're not going to be able to go every verse, um, as Paul is teaching the gospel and people are coming to faith, there are some people in town that aren't liking this. They're like, hey, this is going a different direction than what we want it to go. And so they began saying all kinds of things about Paul. They created a riot, and a mob emerged out of that riot, and they were setting out to kill Paul. Well, when they showed up to find Paul, Paul was gone. He skipped town. He left town. I wonder how Paul knew he needed to get out of town. Could it be that some of these people who were converted, including these prominent women, had their ear to the door and they knew what was going on in their city and they told Paul, hey, Paul, thanks for the gospel. We love Jesus. Thanks for being here. You got to go. Over time, he spent three Sabbaths with them, but he actually spent many months there in Thessalonia sharing the gospel and teaching them and showing them the way of Jesus. In fact, over in the New Testament, you get over into some books of the Bible like 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. 
It is um, uh, believed that the first letter that Paul wrote to one of the churches, and this would be one of those churches, was the book to the church at Thessalonica, that he had a deep love and passion for them, and he writes to them. Um, there is much dialogue and debate about who's king. Um, one of the uh, kind of uh, angles that the, um, the, uh, the mob took was that, hey, this guy's trying to mess things up. Rome's going to come down on us. He's saying there's another king and his name is Jesus, but we think that Caesar is king. Now, we talk about kings. We think about like stories and fairy tales, but they understood what a king meant in that day. They understood that to have a king is to be ruled and to be reigned over. And they understood that if he's preaching that Jesus is king, they were not going to be going this direction anymore. They were going to be going this direction anymore. May I suggest to you that maybe today in our culture, in our context, and I'm not talking about everybody out there, I'm talking about us in here, that maybe we don't comprehend the idea and the truth of Jesus being king the way that we should. We simply many times just pray a prayer and we go on about our business. And yet what we see in Scripture is that if you give your life to Jesus, you follow him. You allow him to rule and to reign in your life. And so I ask you this question, is Jesus your king? Now drop down to verse number 10. We're going to see them moving from Thessalonica into Berea. Verse 10. That very night the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So there's the MO. And the people of Berea were open-minded, more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. This is a really, really cool verse of scripture. It says three huge things about these people in Berea. One, they were more open-minded than the people at Thessalonica. So in other words, not as many people in Thessalonica were leaning in and listening and willing to hear what was being taught and what was being proclaimed from the Scripture. So they were open-minded. It says they listened eagerly to the message. And then this last part says, they searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. If you want to make a Bible teacher happy, let what I'm saying cause you to read the Bible more. It just makes us happy when we've taught. Now listen, my aim is to teach the truth, but ultimately what I want for you is for you to get in the Word of God more. What I share with you, even if we met every single day, I can't unpack everything, nor do I know everything there is to know about the Word of God. The Spirit of God lives inside of you the way He lives inside of me, and He lives inside of every other believer, and He will reveal truth to you. And so get into the Word of God. And I will go ahead and say it, I'm not perfect either. I may teach something that doesn't agree with God's Word, and guess what's going to happen? If you come to me and say, I want to show you God's Word, and I want to show you where what you said is not true. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Scripture and go with that, not with me. The Word of God, and they leaned into it with an open mind. They listened eagerly, and they searched the Scriptures. Look now at verse number 12. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. So we see more people coming to know Jesus, which is very, very exciting. Well, once again... In this city of Berea, the people didn't like it, and they got things stirred up, and Paul had to leave. Now pick up in verse number 16 as he moves on to Athens, which was even a longer journey of about 250 miles. Verse 16, 
while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, so he went ahead and he left behind Silas and some other guys. While he was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. I want you to think about the culture in that day for just a moment. I want you to think about all these shrines that were built, all these things that were molded and shaped that people would go to, um, they would pray after, they would worship, um, they would give to, they would sacrifice to, they would do all kinds of lewd acts um, to pay homage to these things that had been formed out of hands. Just weird, strange things happening in Athens. At one time, Athens was the most influential city in the world. It still was the place where all of the thinkers went and all of the philosophers went. Uh, some of the most famous philosophers ever were educated and were found there in the city of Athens. And so he went there and he saw the idols and he was deeply, deeply bothered by it. Now, as you think about that culture and you think about an idol on every corner and you think about people worshiping those things and doing all kinds of just crazy things to pay homage to them, I want you to note that our culture today is not much different. And if you're thinking, man, I don't see too many idols on every corner, well, maybe we don't carve them out of our hands so much anymore and set them up on a corner. But in our pluralistic society today, many people are worshiping everything else but the true and the living God. Now, I say that for two reasons. I say that because I want us to see how messed up our culture is today. But I also want you to know, culture was messed up then too. And the answer for that culture is the same answer for our culture today. Okay? Paul didn't come in passing some legislation saying, you can't do that anymore. You've got to worship God. No, he preached what we must preach. It's the only thing that can change hearts. It's the only thing that can change lives. And it is the gospel. In every single town we see Paul showing up, he preaches the gospel. He talks about how Jesus suffered and how Jesus died and how he came back from the dead. It is our greatest need. If you are lost and in need of a Savior, your greatest need is the gospel. And let me back that up and say, if you are saved and you know Jesus as your Savior, guess what your greatest need is? The gospel. Some people are like, man, we got to go deeper than that, man. We've heard about Jesus. You cannot go deeper than the gospel. It is your greatest need. It is the only thing that can meet the needs of your soul. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, look on to verse number 17. It says, He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. And so we see Paul doing what he normally does. He goes to the synagogue, and he begins to teach the gospel. But it's interesting here that we don't see anything in verse number 17 about any Jews coming to know Jesus or any Gentiles coming to know Jesus. Seemingly, his time at the synagogue kind of fell flat. Seemingly, people weren't ready to hear what he had to say about Jesus. They were completely open-minded in, Thessal uh, excuse me, in Athens, but their open-mindedness wasn't to truth. It was to everything else. And as important as their open minds were in Berea, it's important that their minds were open to the Scriptures. And in Athens, he's struggling with that, so he kind of changes. And he starts hanging out in the public square and hanging out with anybody that just came by. I mean, he's like, hey, you, <laughs> you want to talk? And so he began sharing the gospel with them. Look now at verse number 23. Verse number 23. 
As he's talking, they begin dialogue, and they want to know what he's all about. In verse 23, he says this, For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. So all of these altars were built, and it was to the God of this and to the God of that, and some of these gods you may be familiar with, if you know some of your mythology that goes way, way back. And he said, there's this one shrine that you have built, and on it is inscribed to the unknown God. It's like, hey, you think you might have missed one, so in case we miss one, we're going to build this altar to this God we don't know we missed. And he takes the opportunity to begin to explain to them the God they had missed. Again, he says, this inscription to the unknown God. And here's what he says. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. And he goes on to talk about how the God that he is proclaiming to them is the creator of all and that he is the rescuer of all. He even quotes some of their philosophers because in the midst of all of the the crazy stuff that their philosophers said, there was truth in those things that they had said. And so he took some of the truthful statements of their philosophers and he began to teach God as creator and as sustainer. And he began to show them who God was, as he declared him as creator, shared him as the provider, taught him that God was taught them that God was the one in charge, and that he was present and near. And here's what he says about God that's incredible. He said to them, and he says to us today, that we can know God. Like we can know him. He's not the unknown God that's aloof and way over here and and, and hiding out, but he's the true and the living God, and we can actually know him. We can interact with him. We can talk to him, and he talks back to us. We can have relationship with him. We can have interaction with him. We can know him. We can experience his presence, and we can experience his rescue. So here's a big idea, and I've been struggling, and I'm just going to like pause here for just a moment. I've been struggling to say, man, God, is this going to connect today? I feel like I've been kind of academic here for a few moments, just kind of painting this picture. But what I'm about to tell you is a big, big deal, and we've got to get it, because if we miss it, we miss everything. Paul, again and again and again, is preaching the gospel And the reason why he's preaching the gospel is the reason why I'm preaching the gospel because it is the only way to know God. And here's the reason why we are created. And here's the big idea that I want you to get and I want you to capture and I want you to to go with. And that is this. We are created to know God and to make him known. You want to know why you were formed? You want to know why you're living? You want to know why you're breathing? You want to know why you're here on this earth? You want to know why you're here this morning? It's because we were created to know God and make him known. So the question is, do you and I know God? Like really know him, not just know that he exists, but do we know him? Are we connected? Are we in relationship? Are we on the same wavelength? Are we going to spend today together, and are we going to spend eternity together? Do we know God? Well, that's why we were created. We were created to know God and to make him known. 
Now, if you're sitting out there, and I think a bunch of you in this room are like, yeah, I, I know him. I do. Like, I, I really, really know him. Like this whole gospel that you talk about, yeah, man, like keep it coming. I believe that Jesus lived for us. I believe that Jesus died for us. I believe that Jesus came back from the dead. I believe he did all that for my sin, and I've confessed that, and he has saved me, and he's changed me, and he know, I know him, and he knows me. Great, wonderful, let's celebrate that. Don't miss the rest of your calling. The rest of your calling is to make him known. Do you realize there are people around you who are worshiping other gods besides the true and the living God? And at the end of the day, they are finding themselves hopeless and in despair. And if we know the true and living God who came back from the dead, we know someone and we have something that they don't have. And it's our responsibility to share it. Everybody won't receive it. Everybody won't accept it. Everybody doesn't want it, but they need it. And our responsibility is to make him known. Now, I don't know who you know in your life that doesn't know God, but I think if you were honest right now and you started thinking about people that you go to school with or you go to work with or you're in family with or you do life with, you probably know some people that don't know God. And I would suggest this to you believers. If you don't know anybody that doesn't know God, you need to make some more friends. Wait a minute, I thought we were just supposed to hang out with other believers. Well, it's kind of hard to help people know God if they already know God. We've got to connect with some people who don't know God. Now, here's what I know. If you're paying attention to the people around you, paying attention, you know some people who don't know God. And so we want to make him known. I want to give you three steps and they're not like the ABCs or whatever, but they're, they're three progressions, if you will, in people coming to know God, okay? Three progressions in it, okay? Number one is this. The first one is recognizing that God is. Now, you may have possibly a friend or a relative or a neighbor or someone that you interact with that would just say, I don't believe there's a God. Um, I would suggest this to you. Most people that I've encountered that say that don't really believe it. It's just their way to, their way to make you hush. But there are a few people out there who are so strong and, and, and so um, uh, into what they think is true that they would just say, I, I don't believe that a God exists. But the first step in knowing God is recognizing that God is. Now, if you know someone who believes that God is, but they don't know the true and living God, it's okay because like you're kind of on the right progression here. They actually believe that there is a higher being. They actually believe in the supernatural. That is a great thing because it's part of the progress of knowing God. So number one, recognizing God is. So if you've got a friend that doesn't know God, but they recognize that God is, awesome. Pray for them. They are on a progression right now. Number two, recognizing who God is. This is very important, isn't it? Because we can say that anyone or anything is God, right? Um, I don't know, you know, how outlandish it has got, gotten over the history of mankind, but some crazy things have been dreamed up as to what God is, correct? There are some crazy things today that people worship as God. And so it's our job and opportunity to begin to share with them verbally from the Word of God who God is, and it's interesting to note how um, affluent that Paul was 
with the gospel. His fluency was just incredible to understand who he needed to talk to and how he needed to talk to them. He talked to the Jews different than he talked to the Gentiles. He talked to these people at Athens different than he talked to anybody else. He spent a lot of time talking about God being the creator for them to begin to understand who God is. And then third, this is a huge one, recognizing what God is saying. That's the word of God. That's the scripture. Recognizing what God is saying. So if you want to help someone who doesn't know God come to know God, you need to begin praying for them that they will just believe that God exists. You need to pray for them that as you talk to them about who God is, they'll begin to have an understanding of who he is as creator and everything that flows out of that from him. And then begin to have the opportunity to point them to Scripture. Well, how do I point them to Scripture? Do we have a Bible study? Maybe. That would be great. That would be wonderful. It's interesting as you read the stories of Paul and him teaching and him interacting with people. He normally, I I don't say ever, but he normally doesn't say open your Bibles to a couple huge reasons for that. One, people didn't have copies of the Word of God, which would only been the Old Testament at that time. They didn't have copies. Um, they may have had smartphones, but there were no, you know, copies of the Word of God on there, right? So we've got all these access, you know, all this access to the Word of God today, but they didn't have it then. The other thing was a lot of times Paul would quote Scripture. He would quote Scripture believing that without giving its reference, it still had power. Did you hear what I just said? He would quote Scripture believing that without even giving its reference, it still had power. Do you hear what we're saying right here? The Word of God is powerful. You can speak the Word of God to your friends and to your neighbors and to your relatives without telling them where it came from, believing that God can use it in their life. Believing that God can use it in their life. I do it all the time on social media. I have friends that I know aren't believers. They don't follow Jesus and they're going through a hard time or a rough time. And I will speak Scripture into their life through social media and I won't even give the reference for it. Believing that the Word of God is the Word of God, whether I give its reference or not. Do you see what I'm saying here? The Word of God is powerful. Am I saying never give reference that it's the Word of God? No, I'm just saying take the opportunity in conversation to speak the Word of God. You don't have to say, well, the Bible says. Just speak what the Bible says. Believing it, knowing that the Word of God has power. And Paul does this so very, very often. And we've got to get people into the Word of God because that's how God fully reveals himself. Drop down now to verse number 30 as Paul continues to reason and talk with these people in Athens. He goes on in verse number 30 and said, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things, all this idolatry in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. I want you to notice three words in um, this verse. I want you to know this word, everyone, everywhere, and repent. Everyone, everywhere, and repent. Everyone, that means them, and that means us, okay? Everyone. Everywhere, that means there, and that means here. So everyone, everywhere is called by God to repent of their sins and turn to him. 
The word repent is this idea of turning. It's I'm going this direction. I have a God. I live for it. I worship it. I love it. I want it. It's who I serve. It's who I sacrifice for. It's where I'm going. It's where I'm headed. It's where I find my solace. It's where I find my rescue. It's where I find my hope. It's in whatever it may be. And I'm saying, you know what? That is not going to be my God anymore. And that may be me that's my God. That may be something that's my God. But I'm not going that way anymore. I'm going to understand the righteousness of God, and I'm going to turn from it, and I'm going to go towards Jesus. I'm going to say I don't want my sin anymore. I want a Savior now. Now, here's the idea that sometimes we get mixed up on in. We think, well, I'm going to get myself out of sin, and I'm going to get over here, and I'm going to get better, and God's going to be pleased with me. That's not repentance. That's religion. Okay? Repentance is, I can't do anything about this. I am stuck. I can't get out. I'm knee deep. I'm neck deep. I'm nose deep. I'm up to my eyeballs. I can't get out. So I'm turning from this God. I'm turning from this sin. And I'm turning to you, Jesus, believing that you can forgive me, cleanse me, and do something for me I cannot do myself. Now, if you've done that, you know God. And you know the way to God. And you have been changed. And this is what... Paul is preaching over and over again. So again, it's not about just praying a prayer. It's about Jesus and giving our lives to him through repentance. Go on now to verse number 31. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man, and the man is Jesus. By the man he is appointed. And so there's this idea that there's a day coming in the future when Jesus, the Son of God, is going to judge everyone and everything. I don't know fully what all that judgment looks like, but here's what I know. He's going to be right about everything. And everything that we are wrong about, we are going to know for sure that we were wrong about. That's what I know for sure about the judgment of God. And it says he's appointed him as the judge, and that day is coming. With justice by the man he is appointed. Here's what it says. And he proved to everyone who this is, who what is, who Jesus is, who the Messiah is, who the judge is. He proved this by raising him from the dead. Give me a stronger argument for Jesus being the judge. Give me a stronger argument for Jesus being the Son of God. Give me a stronger argument for Jesus being the Savior than the fact that he died and came back from the dead. I'm just here to tell you, if one of you dies and on your own you come back from the dead, I'm taking a second look at you. Who are you again? How did you do that? You, you, you pulled that off? Well, there's only one that's ever done it, and his name is Jesus. And he proclaims to them the risen Savior. The risen Savior. He proclaims to them the resurrection. Look now in verse number 32. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. Now, imagine for a moment that you're, you don't believe in the God of the Bible and you never heard of this Jesus guy. And here's this dude named Paul who's got bruises and whelps all over him and seemingly life's not going very well for him. And he's kind of running from town to town because they keep running him out of town. And now he's in your town. And he's here telling you about this guy named Jesus and how he came back from the dead. I don't know about you, but I might have been amongst those that laughed at him. If that's where I'm coming from and that's what I understand about life and my, you know, philosophy. It says some laughed at him. 
It goes on to say, though, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. Here's what I know. You start telling people about Jesus, some people are going to get a kick out of it. Some people are going to think, man, you're, you're, you're goofy. Man, you're messed up. Man, you just, you just, you don't even know it, man. They're just taking your money, dude. Like, you got to get out of there, right? All these things people are going to say about you when you start following Jesus. And yet it says, some of them laughed at him, but there were some others that leaned in. They said, hey, man, like, um, can we maybe meet up for coffee tomorrow? I'm, I'm kind of interested in what you've been talking about. Potentially, these were some of the people that had worshipped maybe every God they'd ever heard of, looking for hope, looking for pleasure, looking for joy, looking for peace. And it came up empty time and time and time again. They're like, hey, man, like, I don't know if I believe yet, but, like, I'm interested. Like, if this guy pulled off a resurrection, I want to hear more about him. Look now at verse number 32. Excuse me, verse 33. That ended Paul's discussion with them, verse 34. But some joined him and became believers. So not as many as happened in Thessalonica, not as many as in Berea, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Di. There's another name I don't, I don't know how to pronounce in verse number 34. Um, I always love these names because some of you are having babies and you're looking for names. Here's one of those. Uh, we'll just go with Dion, okay? Among them were Dion, a member of the council. So he was a higher up, like he was kind of a leader in the city. Big deal. A woman named Damaris and others with them. So he was laughed at. In the midst of this philosophy empire of the world, they scoffed at him, but some leaned in and some gave their hearts to Jesus. Was it a wasted trip to Athens? I would say Dion would say it wasn't a wasted trip to Athens. I would say this young lady would say, not a wasted trip to Athens. Thank you, Paul, for doing the bold thing, for doing the courageous thing, for doing the uncommon thing, and sharing the truth about God. Again, it's very encouraging to know that if God could change people who lived in that culture, in that day, and in that age, and in that city, then and there, that he can change people here and now. The gospel is what lost people need. The gospel is what saved people need. There's nothing deeper, nothing more needed, nothing more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. It is the cure for your sin. It is the remedy for your addiction. It is the hope for your marriage. It is the purpose of your parenting. It is the story of stories of all of the Bible. If you can tell me about David and Goliath and all those other really cool stories about the, the Bible, great. But did you know that all of those stories are ultimately about Jesus? Do you know that he's the hero of every single story in the Word of God? That it's a story of redemption going from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and it's all about the Messiah, and his name is Jesus, and we were created to know him and to make him known. Check out verse number 27 as we back up. Verse 27, in the middle of Paul's talk to the people, he says, His, meaning God's, God's purpose was for the nations to seek after God. Look at this, and perhaps, I want you to notice this word perhaps, and perhaps feel their way toward him 
and what? Find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. There's so much in here I want you to notice in verse 27. This idea of perhaps, this idea of there is a chance, this idea that there is hope for anyone and everyone, that perhaps because it's God's plan for him to know them, that perhaps as we God's people like Paul are bold and courageous and we share about who God is and we share his scripture and we have coffee with people and maybe we get laughed at every now and then, but perhaps some of those people we talk to, can feel their way and find him. That's what a lot of people around you are doing right now. They're feeling their way, right? They're feeling their way. Man, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for hope. I'm looking for purpose. I'm looking for joy. I'm looking for peace. And they're feeling their way around. And the stuff that they're touching along the way makes you not want to get anywhere near them, right? Right? I mean, like the stuff they're involved in right now, the stuff they've found themselves in the middle of, and yet what they're searching for is the God that we know. And perhaps... As we share the gospel, they will feel their way toward him and find him. And then this last part, he's not far away from anyone. Now here's the deal. If you are in your sin and you don't know Jesus, you are far away from God. But guess what? He's not far away from you. God sending Jesus was God coming for us. He's not up there in heaven saying, good luck making it up here. He sends his one and only son to suffer and to bleed and to die and to come back from the dead for our sin. And he is close to us. Some of you right now, you are far away from God because of your sin. And yet Jesus is right beside you right now, speaking truth to you right now, pulling on you right now to come over by faith and to experience redemption and rescue. He is near to you right now. And perhaps, perhaps today is the day that you give your heart and you give your life to Jesus, and you know him. Maybe you've got a family member of yours, and you're just not sure about him. You're like, man, I don't, I don't know. Like, they grew up in church, but I look at their life right now, and I, I just, I'm not seeing it. Like, I just don't know if they know God. I just don't know if heaven is theirs. Like, perhaps, perhaps as you love them, perhaps as you speak truth to them, perhaps as you point them towards Jesus, they will find Jesus. That coworker of yours that's so wrapped up in their religion and yet they're missing Jesus, perhaps, perhaps God wants to use you to boldly and courageously share the scripture with them, share the word with them, and share Jesus with them, that they will come to follow Jesus. Um, that, that friend of yours that's always been a good person, They've always been a good person, but they don't want anything to do with church. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Like, ah, I'm over here. Perhaps, perhaps as you share the gospel with them, they will come to know him and experience his redemption. That person that maybe you went to high school with and they're confused and their lifestyle just screams confusion right now. And you're thinking, man, they're too far gone. I just, I don't, I don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps God wants to use you to love them, to talk about Jesus with them, to share scripture with them, to pray over them, to keep loving them so that they can find Jesus. Maybe you're the person that um, you've been thinking about Jesus and you've been considering Jesus and you're here today and 
you're leaning in. Perhaps this is the day that you decide, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to worship that anymore. I'm not going to give my life to that anymore. I'm going to recognize my sin, which all of us have, and I'm going to repent of it, and I'm going to find Jesus today by faith. Perhaps today is that day. In just a moment, um, I'm going to pray, and after we pray, we're going to stand. Band's going to play a song, and we just want to let you know this is going to be a great opportunity for you to respond to Jesus today. It's going to be a great opportunity for you to accept the gospel that we preach every single week at this church, and we are not going to stop preaching every single week at this church. Why? Because every single person in this room and every single person outside of this room needs the gospel. And maybe for you today, it's like a, it's a, it's a moment of decision for you, and you're ready to step across that line of faith and make Jesus your own and find him and follow him. There's going to be some people up here that can pray with you and help you, and we'd love for you to respond to Jesus and his power through his death and burial and resurrection. We're also going to give you an opportunity to give in just a few moments, give you an opportunity to worship God. And I just want to say thank you to you as a church. You are so faithful and you are so generous in your giving so that we can continue to do what we do in these gatherings and outside of these gatherings, in this city and outside of this city. We've got a group right now of middle schoolers that are in Fayetteville, Arkansas and Springdale, Arkansas, and they are painting faces and they are digging holes. And I don't know what all they're doing, doing all kinds of stuff, right? Right now on a mission trip, why? For one reason, because they want to let people know about God. And that's possible because of your generosity. So thank you so much for your generosity. Um, one more thing that you can do to respond this morning, if it's your first time here and you want to drop in that communication card, we'd love for you to do that in the offering bucket this morning. And we invite all of you to worship Jesus. I'm going to pray.